Marvel Wednesdays. Every Thursday. Hey everybody, welcome to We Love Wednesdays every Thursday, sometimes on Fridays. This is Cooley, I'm chilling with Roberto. We have a special guest today. Say hello, Vita. Hey, nice to see you guys, or I guess speak to you guys. Yeah, this is Vita Ayala. You may know them from their book, The Wilds and Submerged. That's a lot of really creepy stuff there. So if you have not read my stuff, then I understand. Uh, there's some happier stuff that I've written through DC as well. <laughs> That's more your speed. Welcome to the show. And let's get right into it. All right. On this podcast a lot, we've talked about like um, inclusion and when people start, when we start to sense a company's fear of having more inclusivity or when they yeah. start doing weird thing with people of color, like we've seen sometimes with Riri Williams and sometimes with Miles Morales over on the Marvel end. Um, yeah, those things really start to irk me. Um, you know what really bums me out? And this is kind of like tangentially related, but like... Yeah. Often, like, the intersection of being, like, Latinx and Black is so ignored. And, like, you, you brought up Miles Morales, whom I love. He's my baby. He's my little baby bird, my little baby spider. And I'm always, like, like people talk spider. about him and about his Blackness, which is super important. Um, but then they completely ignore, the, like, brother's name is Morales. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that dude is a little Afro-Latinx guy. Like, that... That's meaningful. That's that's very meaningful and like really important because there's a bunch of us out there and we're always ignored. I was just talking to one of my one of these damn kids that are like, like one of my gay babies. They're younger queer people that kind of like you you try and either mentor or kind of give whatever advantages and knowledge that you have. And I was talking about Gina Torres and they're like, yeah, Torres is is what? And I was like, yeah, she's Latina. She's like half Cuban. <laughs> It's just wild. It it is. It is. Are you? Have you run into any of this stuff? Like, have you ever been? I wouldn't say prohibited, but have you ever felt like discouraged from exploring some of that? I read in your Wonder Woman. Like, I immediately noticed there's a young girl coming up to um coming up to the cheetah, and she is a young woman of color, and like immediately, bam, there's inclusivity, and you're pushing, and you're going for it, right? Have you ever felt like resistance from some of the companies? Never. Uh, I've worked more with DC than, than Marvel. I am doing something with them now, but uh, I never from them. I honestly like I, I there have been a few times where I've been able to introduce like a brown person uh, with DC and they've never been like, nah, like I sometimes I have to be more explicit in terms of the script because white is the default. Right. <laughs> so like in the script for that Wonder Woman piece with the cheetah, I was just like, all right. This kid looks like Tatiana Ali right after the end of Fresh Prince, like just just huh. brown, just super brown, <laughs> like brown browner than you think they are. And I had to like be explicit about that. But in terms of like editorial, they're like awesome. Like uh, I got to write an issue, co-write an issue of Supergirl with Steve Orlando, and you know, Steve is always very encouraging with me. Um, and he was like, all right, I want you to write what you would have needed as like a young like a young kid like coming up from Supergirl and so I got to introduce this uh, non-binary character of color uh, who was also Afro, you know, Latinx, but like DC was like awesome. <laughs> I, I mean, you would think, you would think that companies would start to encourage that more, right? Like because they're starting to hit like every demographic. Let's make everybody feel included here, right? Let's bring everybody to the table. That's pretty much my brand. My brand is like, make it browner and make it queerer, just like across the board. <laughs> I love it. I love That's it. That's what I want. 
I want I don't want any kids like coming up and having to search really hard for themselves. I want them to be able to be like, there it is, right there. So Here I am. you were a kid, and um, can I, if if you don't mind, I want to ask you about something that I read somewhere else. Uh, and I thought it was the dopest thing, again, because it's a recurring theme on this particular show, um, that level of inclusivity. And I'm always trying to describe it as, like, Miles Morales is my nephew. My nephew yeah. is is Puerto Rican like me, and he's black like his mom, and mm-hmm. he's a super, you know, science genius. Um, and and I love that he has somebody now, which which I always felt like was a stretch for me. For me, it was Snake Eyes in, in G.I. Joe because the dude had a mask. And he I could have pre- been black. He could have been Puerto Rican. Yeah, I could pretend that he was Puerto Rican under there. Um, even though I read, I probably eat a lot more than he would to have that agility. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> uh, I read for I read that at a very young age, you picked up Wonder Woman, and Wonder Woman was dope to you because she was Puerto Rican. And we all know the Amazonian thing, and I could make my argument, but can you please <laughs> tell me more? Because I thought that was hilarious. So, like, I mean, I was very young, and I... You know, I, I looked at this cover. I was, like, I don't know, like, six. And, like, she had, like, coochie-cutting shorts on with, like, stars on them and, like, a gold, like, and red, like, halter and, like, bangles and, like, all this stuff. And I was like, oh, that's my cousin. She looks exactly like my cousin. Um, and I, one of my cousins is named Diana as well. So I was like, yeah, that's wow. a Puerto Rican. And my mom was like, well, she's from this, like, Amazon island and it's just a bunch of strong women. And I was like, yeah, yeah, Puerto Rico. Like, I got it. I'm yeah. good. Yeah, right. Um, like, like, I've been to this place. Yeah, like I, I know this place. This is where we are from. Um, and like, and Steve Orlando will back me up on this. Like, she says "Hola" sometimes for no reason. Like, they never, they never explain why. Like, it's just like peppered throughout. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, she's one of us. And then like ten years later, my mom broke my heart, and she was like, No, Mia, no, that's not, that's not real. Like, <laughs> she's, she's Greek. One day, and so when- I had to like deal with that. But for like a solid ten years of my life. Like, to me, I grew up in New York City. I grew up in the Lower East Side in Alphabet City. White was not the default for me, even though it was on television, and that definitely shapes kind of your perception of who you are. But I grew up, you know, in a Puerto Rican family in a neighborhood with a lot of, like, people from from the islands and from South America and, and all kinds of places. And we come in all different colors, but we're all of color, you know what I mean? And so to me... That was the next logical leap. It wasn't that she was white. It was that she was just a light-skinned brown person. Um, and then much later, like, I learned that I was wrong. And I was wrong about uh, Dr. Strange as well. I thought he was Chinese, like half Chinese. Yeah. Because, uh, don't even get me started. <laughs> I thought he was half Chinese. I'm, I'm, I'm loving this. I, w- I want this, yeah. It was so one of my brothers is half Chinese, so I was like, Yeah, like that makes sense and, and that's why he has like he hangs out with Wong because that in my mind also I was doing a lot of work to make it like acceptable. You know what I mean? Yep, and yep. I didn't understand that at the time that that was written, that was just a thing that happened all the time. So I was like, no, yeah, he's, Wong is helping him connect with the part of himself, blah, blah, blah. I didn't learn he wasn't Chinese until they announced the movie. Like, that was, like, way too late in my life. And <laughs> it, like, fucked me up. I was like, but why? Like, it would make sense if he was half Chinese. Like, I just don't understand. I was today um, years old when I found out that, um, yeah, Doctor Strange is not half Chinese. He was drawn that way for, like, the first couple of issues of the first run of Doctor Strange, and then they were like, stop drawing him that way, and the artist, I think it was Dicko, was like, what? And they were like, yeah, don't do that. Like, oh, okay. Uh, but I'd only read the early stuff, and then after that, I was like, well, they just draw him weird now, but he's not Chinese. <laughs> like, <laughs> and just coming from a place that was very, I hate the word diverse, because 
when used in the context of like books and media and stuff, it's a misnomer. I like the word inclusive and, and normalizing better, but like for lack of a better word about the real world, I came from a very diverse area. And so to me, the default was not white for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel you. And yet Peter Parker, especially in the Sam Raimi movies, went to like this all white school um, he went to like, to like all white, all white New, York. New York. Like, he, yeah, yeah he, he lives in the same place that like Sex in the City and Girls takes place in, and like Friends. <laughs> You're just like, where is that? <laughs> yeah, where where is this magical uh, place of of beautiful whiteness? <laughs> where, where I, all not go there. I would like to go to the place where there's a bunch of different people. <laughs> like, yeah, where, like food has flavor and stuff. Like, I just want to go there. I feel um, you. I feel and I and I love those two movies too. But uh, that was something that again we talked about with Present Company here. Uh, why is everybody white? And as a Puerto Rican, it kind of you know it made me a little bit sad. It made it harder for me to relate to. And I love that. I loved reading that about you with the Wonder Woman thing. I'm wondering. I'm wondering if you ever get that full run on Wonder Woman where you might be able to do one of these alternate reality DC things. <laughs> Might uh, I? She has a twin sister that's black. Like you know that, right? Can I see? I want. I want your <laughs> cousin Diana, uh, Wonder Woman. I need that thing happening with the poom poom shorts, right? Not the. Hundred percent. I know that they don't draw that way anymore. She has like kind of a longer skirt, which I'm into as well. I feel, I'm feeling that too. <laughs> but, no, hundred uh, percent. I was I was oddly naive. Like I grew up and I had to learn quick how to take care of myself. But for things that weren't like directly related to survival. I was just very innocent and gullible, and like I, I played myself. <laughs> That's what it was. You said you, you had, said a, you twin had a twin sister. No. No. Wonder, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Oh. oh. So, yeah. Sister Makes named sense. Nubia, uh, who is basically to me is just Gina Torres. I know that I will come back to the Gina Torres many times because she is an inspiration. Um, but also, she looks remarkably like Gina Torres. And I was always like, I would read a whole, whole series about this character. Just. I just You've touched on it. You touched on it too many times without exploring more. Please tell me why Gina Torres is so fascinating. To those of us who don't know, and those of us who are listening, uh, we're not going to dance around Gina Torres anymore. Please go in and have your moment. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and contain it. Gina Torres was the first time on television that I saw myself reflected, someone that looked like me, and I guess I instinctively knew that she, you know, she was also like. I mean, it was Hispanic at the time, but like a Latina and also black. Like I just, I could feel it. Um, she is Cuban and she's black. She speaks Spanish beautifully. Um, and I'd never seen someone that looked like me in a role that wasn't uh, often negative, but here she was. And she, I think the first time I saw her was on Hercules, Legendary yeah. Journeys. And she was playing this like pirate queen who's super powerful and, and funny and like charming and, and like sexy, but not in a, an exploitive way. It was much more of like, I'm in control of my body and no one can question that. And I was like, who, the, who is this? And then every time I would see her on television, she'd be more and more kind of a main character and her own actualized character. And I, I, I just had never seen that before. It was not something I was, she had big curly hair and she was, you know, she had this big, beautiful smile, and I was like, man, that's that's so crazy. I've never seen myself in television before. And then it was confirmed uh, in an interview. Uh, she was talking about her family and how, like, if you didn't speak Spanish, you didn't eat, like, that kind of stuff. Like, yeah. how, like yeah. they were very, like, nope, you have to, this is part of your heritage. Um, and she was also talking about how they no one ever wants to cast her as, like, 
a Latina, they only want to cast her as black or as like some sort of brown, uh, yeah. but never like, you know, Spanish speaking because that's not what we look like on television and that kind of stuff. And I was like, this has hit me so deeply. And so like, just whenever I see her doing anything, I'm like, look at this like, like deeply powerful, charming, funny, dignified human being doing what they do. What what an inspiration. Like, she's always that kind of character where you're just like, she can be vulnerable and like loving, but also probably can murder you with one hand. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's very appealing to me. I, I am I am feeling it. I hear she's got her own show coming out. Uh so yeah. I'm, I'm sure you're gonna be I'm sure you're gonna be watching this. Um yeah, so I, I think the thing that I think is so important is I always feel I, I sometimes feel alone because this is not necessarily um, this this is not something that's necessarily owned by our multifaceted communities, right? Like, um, and and I mean that beyond race um, and sexuality. I mean just the whole community of comic book nerds has been owned by like one demographic for so long. And on this show, Tony and I have talked at, at length about what you just mentioned, the idea of here's somebody who I can relate to. Here's somebody who looks like me and makes me feel like I can buy into this character. And I love to see you bringing that into your books. I just, I, I have just recently been put onto the wilds. And oh, by me. By Tony. By Tony. <laughs> and uh, it's not because we're interviewing you. It's because it was dope that I continued to read it. Um, Tony, you've probably got a, a bunch of questions about the wilds. Yeah, the wilds is just a it's a joy to read um thank you i want to know and this doesn't necessarily just have to do with the wilds it's it's with everything that i've read from you i just want to know how much of yourself do you put into your characters like your main characters like like ellie from submerge um daisy from the wilds like i mean how much of yourself are, is actually in these characters i think i put I think any artist puts a lot of themselves in their original characters because you have to have kind of a base to work from. Um, with the wilds in particular, I've kind of seeded pieces of myself in different characters, um, almost as different points of view in myself that I struggle with and want to explore. So like, clearly Daisy is very important to me. I love Daisy very much, but like Heather as well, that conversation that they have where they're arguing about how much effort you have to put in and how much you have to sacrifice yourself is one that right. I've had with myself. Like that, you know, and I go back and forth and it's a struggle. Um, with Daisy herself, yeah, there's a lot of me, there's a lot of me in, in, in the wilds. Um, but I, 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 <laughs> I try and put more than myself in my characters. So I try and make them consistent characters in and of themselves and take different parts of other people that I know and kind of fashion them into these characters just to kind of highlight that personality. Um, right. Like I, I asked that question um, mainly just because of how real these characters feel. Like they, they all have like clear motivations. They all have a clear personality that is easily recognizable um, they're different from each other. Like, it's not like I think Daisy and Ellie are the same person, but you can easily look at them and say, hey, this is somebody that I probably know. Um, and it's not just a fictional two-dimensional character. So, I mean, I think, you know, what you're trying to achieve, I think you've succeeded. Thank you. Um, with Ellie, I mean, each story kind of, it, 
this is terrible, right? But like, I think that a lot of creating art is working through kind of struggles that you're having in yourself and, and therapy almost in a way. And so like, the things that I am exploring with Daisy are very different from the things that I'm exploring with Ellie. And so I, I draw on different parts of myself to kind of put into the characters. Um, and then that, that even, that's just what I put in. The, the you know, my co-creators put in just as much into the characters. Um, as anything else. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, the artwork is fantastic. I mean, like, very unique. Um, I really do look at uh, the wilds, and it's like, it's almost like unrefined in a way. She, uh, Emily Pearson, my co-creator on the wilds, when when we started talking, I think she was 20 and when she started drawing the book was 21 so she this is her first like longer sequential piece she's very experienced in terms of like illustration and that kind of stuff and shorter comics but like this was her first long long book um and she like it's amazing to see her progress and and to see her put more and more of herself into the book because I, I think at first she was playing it a little safe and kind of going off of mostly what I kind of put in the script but by mm -hmm. issue three she's like alright this is me I'm, I'm doing my thing and you know whatever and it was much more of like an equal conversation and by issue four she blew me away with issue four she's so good yeah I mean unrefined unrefined might be like the wrong term uh, but it's just like the energy in it and you can actually see you can basically see like the strokes you know the pencil strokes that that are building and it's just i think it's beautiful because you don't see that in most like finished comic books like it's just like you actually get to see the kinetic energy that's put behind the drawing no definitely i think that she one of the things that she does really well is that she she gives uh she reminds me of like those old Disney cartoons back before they were full digital, when you could you could see those like strokes of like the pencil yeah. even when the, the the you know when you're watching the movie and it's quote unquote finished like that feeling that you get there. I think that she invokes that too. It's very like warm and like you can almost touch it. Absolutely, and I was looking at her background a little bit, and she actually comes from a uh, a concept art background, um, and I thought it was interesting because if do you know do you know who Joe Eastman is? Yeah, of course. I love Joe. Yeah. So from uh for, for those that don't know, from Morning Glories, um, and he's done some other things as well. Uh, I think The Woods, right? Yeah. It's so funny because we're actually like friends and um I try and read everything that he does. Um but I cannot recall a single thing on on the list right now except for Morning Glories. <laughs> Um, I, I absolutely love Morning Glories, um, and I get the same feel from the artwork. Like, I don't think they're the same, but I think they have a very similar style. And I thought it was interesting because they kind of both come from the same background. There's definitely, yeah, I, I, I can definitely see that for sure. They're both so good. <laughs> it, yeah. it blows my mind that I've been able to work with, with Emily and just how she has this natural inclination towards certain things in art and then she backs it up by she she like does like hard work to like Im improve like every day she does like studies and she'll do all kinds of stuff and watching her take the the craft aspect and then her natural inclination and kind of like merge them is 
incredible to watch. I'm like, dang, this is why I don't do art because I'm not good at it. <laughs> I could not, I could not even begin to figure out how to improve. <laughs> Can I, I want to take it back a step. Uh, Tony, you asked a question a few minutes ago, and I loved it because I can relate as a reader of The Wilds, right? So you asked about her putting herself into the book and having um, having caught up a little bit and, and flipping through your Twitter. By the way, I'm a fan of you not only as a writer, but as a human um, <laughs> after after following some of this thing. I, I think we've got we've got similar not only backgrounds, but ideologies as well when it comes to some of these things um, and and celebrate our differences and the things that we have in common, which there are so many of. But knowing all of that and reading this stuff as I'm reading between um, your your two lead characters, I saw a lot of um, I saw a lot of breakaway with Daisy, right? Like I saw a lot of you in Daisy, but then I also saw a lot of areas where I feel like you. And forgive me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you are way too bold and revolutionary for to have ever thought the way that Daisy is thinking in certain scenes. Like Daisy seems way more submissive to the establishment than what I've come to understand about you as a person. I think, I mean, thank you <laughs> for attributing boldness to me. Um, I think it's just kind of default for, for my family. But Did I, did I push too far? I hope I haven't insulted you. No, 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 no. Okay. It, it's weird because it's like, I feel like the conversations that she's having with Heather and with Hank and with all these other characters, I've had them with myself. Maybe not out loud. Yeah. Um, but these are things that I have struggled with. Like, you know, the I've explained this a million times, so I apologize uh, and I'll run through it quickly, but thematically the book is about how people of color, especially women of color, especially black women, are expected to do all of this physical and emotional labor and not rewarded for it. Um, and it's kind of presented to, to black women as if you don't do it, we're all gonna die, right? Right. Which is how we treat black women in real life. <laughs> please save us black women, blah, 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 blah. But in a very real way, like, it's hard not to buy into that when things seem so dire, right? So like, with Daisy, it's the actual end of the world. Like, <laughs> that yeah. seems like a pretty rugged, like, time. Um, but even now, like, well, if we don't do all of this work and, and exhaust ourselves doing all this work, uh, this election will be lost, or this, this law will be passed, or like, rescinded, or like, whatever. Um, and, and it's hard not to buy into that, I think because everything feels so important, every single thing. It's hard to log off of Twitter and stop looking at all this, you know, fucked up shit that we see happening to people all the time. It's hard not to bear witness. Um, but I came to a place um, before I started writing the series, but especially as I was writing the series too, um, where I was like, well, the, life isn't fair, but it's especially not fair that this is expected because that's absolute bullshit. Um, yep. And I wanted to explore I mean, it was mostly internal because loudly, it's like one of those things where like, if someone's mean to you, then you kind of like, you're just like, all right, whatever. But if they're mean to like your friend, you're like, no, fuck you. Like, how dare you? Right, um, right. So I, I came to this place inside and I wanted to explore that in an external way. So like, I had these conversations with myself and I went through this process of awakening and being like, nah, this is, I don't want to, this is nonsense. It's not necessary it's not going to get done what we want to get done. Um, and I wanted to express that in a way that would like appeal, not appeal, but that would really be relatable to a lot of people. Um, because I feel also like, you know, we're made to feel selfish if we don't give as people that were designated female at birth, especially 
we are expected to give. And so each of us has to kind of reconcile that with how we want to be treated. Um, and I'm the first one to say, like, girl, you, you deserve to live. Like, <laughs> just know, like, you don't have to give it all up. You can I love little for yourself. I love these themes and concepts that you are challenging with this book. And it seems, especially hearing you explain, it seems like that's a very intended consequence. And that's what you want some of the readers to to be able to take from this. Um, I, I talk about depth sometimes when it comes to storytelling. And I hate when things are just plot devices to move the for, story, story forward. Um, for me, it's the little things, the things that a character is doing in the background that kind of flesh it out and make me uh, submerged, if you will, pun intended, uh, to... <laughs> to the world. Um, and in here, one of the little things that you did was just like in our world, when you sneeze, I, I don't really have religion. Um, I know my, my Puerto Rican family hates me for that. Uh, <laughs> I don't really have religion. So people all the time, you know, if I sneeze, somebody's natural inclination is to say, God bless you. And I, it always makes me feel some kind of way. Right. Um, and in here, instead of goodbye, your characters say, uh, let the road be clear all the way. Or, or something to that effect. That's yeah. one of those little, those little things that help me buy into the world, and I really like it. So, so how how do you even come up with? How do you even conceive that these characters speak in a completely different post-apocalyptic way? I so a long time ago, someone said to me, "Don't say goodbye unless it's forever. If this yeah. is see you later." And like, I don't have religion either, but I am very superstitious. That's just how I am. It's okay. how it landed. It is what it is. And so that I took that to heart, and I was like, yeah, you don't want to say goodbye to someone. You want to see them again. So I, I tend to say see you later or, you know, like it was good to see you or whatever. Um, then I thought to myself, well, there are a couple of things that are very important to people that live in the compound and especially runners, right? So uh, their cars are very important to them. The conditions of the road are very important to them. And the salvage is very important to them. I have to incorporate these. Oh, and, and of course the, the zombies, the, abom the abominations are very like, in terms of the world, those are important things to them. Is I that the word that you're using? Zombies, is that what we're calling them? I call them abominations in the okay. book. I don't, like I still haven't landed on a word that makes the most sense to me. Uh, a good friend of mine, Regine Sawyer said that they were afflicted and I was like, that's really good. I wish I had used that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I mean, I like that Eli calls them flowers. Yeah. So I was trying to figure out, all right, if these things are important to them, they would incorporate them into their everyday language. Well, they have to have slang and they have to have sayings, right? I can't come up with a whole new language, but there has to be little things that have changed in 10 years. And that was one of them. I was like, they would have euphemisms for them. Um, so like flowers is what Eli calls them. And I think at some point I have someone call them like Venus flytraps or something like that, or like just something like that. Where I was like, yeah, they, they come up with all these slang terms just like we do for everything. Um, I was told to keep it to a minimum by my editor, so I tried my best. <laughs> but, you know, like, uh, if I was living in that kind of world, I'd have all kinds of weird names for them because that's a way to take power over a thing. It's like you this name is this is what makes a story epic, right? Like, this is what Star Wars, this is what Trekkies, Trekkies know all the subtle languages. This is what Star Wars fans know. I can tell you, as a Star Wars nerd, I could tell you what the characters were doing in the cantina and where they're from and about their weird, yeah. stupid backgrounds and stuff. And that's what makes a story go from just being a story to being epic and be, becoming an epic saga. Like, that's something that I, that's one of those little details that I pulled out of your book that I definitely appreciated. And thank you for that. 
I, I one of the things that I've always found, or at least since since becoming an adult, I guess, is that I really don't have patience for protagonists for the most part. I like hate them. I always like the side stuff, all the side characters and like all the little stories like in the background. Like I'm always like, oh, what were they doing in the cantina? Like that kind of stuff. And so what I tried to do when when approaching the wilds in particular was I'm writing that side story. I'm not writing whatever the main story is. I don't care about it. I'm writing the side story. So like in my mind, yeah. even though Daisy is the main character, she's not like protagonist with a big P, you know what I mean? Like I, I was like, nope, this is all the cool stuff that I always care about. That's what I'm doing here. Um, and nope. that stuff is always, it has those little details that kind of make the world tangible, like slang or uh, one of the things that I did that I thought it was being like funny was uh, a lot of the female characters, especially the important ones, have plant names. Daisy, Heather, uh, Iris, uh, Rose. I was like, oh, I'm putting that in there. Like that's... I am such an ignorant fool. I learned about this today ago. That's how long ago I found out about it. Just now, hearing you say this is when I pieced that together, and I feel like such a fool. Forgive me. No, not at all. It's not something that, like, it's not crucial to the story, so it's not, you know what I mean? But I wanted to kind of have something that linked these characters that I wanted to care about. And I was like, well, this is all about plants. Did you, Tony, did you notice this? I did not. All right. So <laughs> yeah, no, you're not. I was just being quiet because I was going to let you just, like, be the fool. I was going to be like, yeah, I, I noticed. <laughs> But no, now that you're calling me out, no, I did not. Thanks for chiming in. Yeah. Um, something, I did something I did notice, though, like you had just mentioned the the that somebody called them a Venus flytrap. Um, I think that was it, the uh, the black guy. That's Frank, right? Oh, yeah, Frank. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Frank, that's Frank when he's telling his best run story. Um, and when he, say, when, he, when he says that it's like, you know, full of Venus flytraps or whatever, they... He, you show him lining up the crosshairs on a on somebody who is definitely, from what I can see, human. Oh, definitely. And she's holding she's holding a gun like she's walking through. She's definitely she definitely has consciousness, and he just he pulls the trigger and and ices her, um, but then never says anything about it. So it kind of shows you that he's kind of he kind of actually is a douchebag. Like sometimes I'm like you know flipping back and forth between is this guy like you know actually cool but just has a different point of view but like he just seems to be like pretty douchey and just kind of hides like his amoral side frank uh i i mean i love them all because they're except for smith because they're all my babies but frank is a definitely he's an asshole um he was this is something that i didn't get to put in because there wasn't enough time but he lost someone very close to him he lost his twin brother his identical twin brother um and ever since like, he was kind of a jerk before then, but ever since, he's like, why would I care about anyone? I literally, I'm just going to do what I need to do to survive. This is the best gig. I don't want to get kicked out of here. And that's kind of his tension with Daisy, too, is that, like, Daisy's doing it because she believes in, like, helping people, and she really thinks she's making a difference. And Frank is doing it because he gets free place to live. Uh, he gets all, basically, he can steal all the stuff that he wants, and, like, he's not going to report it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's very... He's very much like the Highlander, like, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that matters. Um, <laughs> right, right. But, like, he's not he's not evil, but he definitely, like, murdered all the people in that, <laughs> in that story. <laughs> he was just like, yeah, there was no one there, just a bunch of stuff for the taking. And you're like, really? That seems weird. That's- yeah, I'm like, that's, yeah, not, like, what that's what not what I'm looking, looking at. 
<laughs> like I love Seven. Uh, he's also he's a a Latino guy as well. Yeah, he's like, a good. I, I, I love that dude. that dude. Yeah, he's he's like to me. He's like Gambit. <laughs> like if mm-hmm. you could imagine if Gambit was like a Latino guy, I was like that's him. <laughs> and gay, I guess Gambit we've is had, like gay Latino. We've had conversations about Frank that I don't feel comfortable having on air. Uh, <laughs> we talked about Frank earlier, and I was like, yeah, I, yeah, I know characters like this, and I I feel like. I feel like Vita uh, was very intentional about who he is and what he looks like, and uh, that's probably as much as I feel comfortable talking about it on air. That's uh, fair. Yeah. <laughs> we can talk about it after. I feel like <laughs> for him, one of the things that I did want to do um, is kind of show that like no one is really the villain of their own story. Um, they, you know, you are from your own perspective. You, you're never like I'm a bad guy. You're like, I'm doing what I need to do to survive, or like, it's them or me, or like, whatever it is. Um, but I didn't want to make Smith too sympathetic, because he's really a terrible person. Oh, yeah, he's he's a, he's horrible. Just the worst. Uh, pardon me, but he is a piece of shit. Like, I hate that guy. <laughs> um, he's every worst boss that you've ever had. He's every, like, racist, misogynist, like, homophobic. Yep. He's the worst. Um, so I didn't want to sim- make him too sympathetic. But in Frank, I wanted to show that, like, you know, even people that struggle, there's a there's complexity there, and sometimes like you can both be like fucked over and fuck people over. Like that's not they're not mutually exclusive. Um, oh, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Vita, I'm gonna have to ask you once again to watch your language on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are children listening. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> like a sailor. <laughs> um, did you have another question? Yeah, I've got actually two questions. Um, one, another question from the wilds. Like in issue one, there's a one of the I'm going to call them flowers because I like that term. Uh, one of one of the flowers is it looks like they're killed, right? She kills one of them, and then one of the flowers that was with that flower like just seems to come over and and kind of gather up the body and drag it away. And then puts it up against a tree. Now, we're trying to figure out what was going on there. Was there some kind of, like, consciousness there? Or were they just trying to, like, well, like putting it up against the tree kind of heal it? Like, or is that something that you're going to address later? Um, I get into it. I hint at it pretty strongly in the fifth issue. So I won't give any spoilers. But okay. what I will say is that one of the things that happens and one of the ways... Like, you see everything super overgrown, which I did research, and, like, it's amazing how fast nature can reclaim a place, but it's even accelerated for that, Um, is that the bodies, even after they are no longer animated, continue to grow plants, and then they spread. And so sometimes these things sit down and become rooted to a spot and just grow. Hmm. Grow and grow and grow. And I did want to hint that they had, if not culture, then there was some sort of consciousness in the same way that, like, some animals, but really more some plants that are eerily, like, mobile can do. So there are real plants that, like, if you, if a piece of it is damaged, it'll start growing in the other direction. There are some plants that will become poisonous if, uh, if they're damaged. Like, if something eats some of the leaves, they'll suddenly become poisonous. Like, stuff like that. Um, roots will start to grow in a different direction if something happens on one side of certain plants. And I was like, oh, cool. I want to incorporate that into this. Well, if if you have, you know, a plant that has been 
rendered immobile and they want to continue growing, then it would stand a reason that another one would put it in a place where it could grow. How do you know that? Like, where did this come from? My first thought reading this stuff is my science nerds are going to try to pick this apart when we start talking about the wilds uh, because it's a science program, right? So um, apparently, you know stuff. Like, where did this where did this come? Do you have a background in botany? I love science. Um, I I didn't go to school for science. Uh, I went to school for philosophy and psychology, but science has always been something that fascinated me. I got into it because of science fiction. My mom was a huge Star Trek nerd and like, you know, watched a bunch of sci-fi movies, all kinds of stuff. And I was always like, this is really cool. And biology was something that was always really fascinating to me because things are so much weirder than what we give them credit for, right? Um, There's all kinds of weird stuff. And then genetics in particular have also really really interested me and I didn't get to put as much in terms of genetics into this but as much as I could put into it I did um but yeah I was I, I started researching kind of the behavior of plants and, and remembering things that I had heard in my like college classes and stuff and I did a lot of research into the plant the fungus that like takes ants and other bugs over and then makes yeah, them the somewhere yeah that that's a nightmare that, that thing's a nightmare uh it's definitely gonna rise up and kill us all um but one of the things that was really cool about that is that once the body is kind of rendered like it's just too eaten away by the fungus, it grows into a huge fungus and then releases spores wherever it is. And if you like, I mean, don't look it up because it's a nightmare, but if you look it up, there are pictures of these like infected insects on trees grown into the tree because of the fungus. Like it looks like a mold, it's not a mold, I don't think, but uh, it, you know, it kind of attaches them to the tree and then releases a spike and then the spores come streaming out of that and infects more things. Um, they'll also go into, like if it's an ant, it'll go into its own like hive and like infect everyone there. But that's the kind of stuff that like real stuff does in the real world. And I was like, all right, I literally can't write anything weirder than that. So I'm going to put that in there. Like, you know what I mean? I love it. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's scientifically sound. Like it's yeah, it's dope. Like you, like, you do these other stories, like these post-apocalyptic stories. Like it's like Walking Dead. Love the Walking Dead, but it's literally like, all right, there's fucking zombies here. Go, go. Right, and like there's no scientific explanation. There's no, there's nothing behind it except there's fucking zombies. And then you have like, like The Last of Us. There's you know, you know the, the cordyceps, cordyceps type, type fungus, fungus takes, takes over, over go. go fuck it, fuck it. that's, that's just, just you that's, that's all you need to know, know. yeah horrified me that's the, the scariest thing i've ever seen like and that's the thing like to me like stuff that's unexplainable is really scary because my mind will fill it in and kind of do the worst but stuff Ooh. that like it's not really plausible that like this disease will happen but like i can draw lines and and your imagination does the rest and to me Anything that is even like vaguely plausible is like, oh no, that's that's real now. I gotta worry about that. That's yeah. a real yeah. thing. Yeah, because like with the other ones, like what I was getting at is like with with like Walking Dead, Last of Us, stuff like that. It's like they give it to you, but you, but I always like write it off as like, nah, it's just, it'll never happen. But with the wilds, like I'm reading it and like you're you're giving us some science behind all this stuff and like how it works and like while I still don't think it's gonna happen. It could, <laughs> you know, so it's definite, it's definitely more intimidating. It's a little more scary, uh, the way that you're pulling it off because you are giving us like something, some meat to it. You know what I mean? 
there's a there's a thing I learned in philosophy called the slippery slope, and this is a fallacy. So it's like, you know, first kids will smoke the marijuana, and the next thing they're dead in a ditch with like a heroin needle, and you're like, that doesn't follow from that. But if you just give a couple more steps in there, like it tends, it's still not right, but it's more believable. And that's what I kind of tried to do in a weird way. I was like, all like science fiction and horror science fiction and post-apocalyptic stuff it seems really unlikely if I give just a couple more steps that will make people nervous and that's the feeling that I want. it's like people being nervous yeah it, it's working yeah that's one of those things that flushes out the story and and you know gives it gives it a, a fourth dimension to it you know what I mean uh, it gets it inside your head it gives it roots um, I wanted to ask you, we, we ask a lot of our guests, um, we ask a lot of our guests to, we want you to have an opportunity to give a shout out, but this time I'm being selfish. Um, so I'm definitely going to ask you to give, you know, um, who you want to give a shout out to right here, uh, on the podcast. Um, and it can be anyone in the world, alive, dead, however you want to do it, that's up to you. But if you don't mind, um, because again, I am this just listening to you and again, following you so much on Twitter, like I've seen so much of this stuff that I feel ashamed that I don't have some of my superstar Steambox students here. I'm thinking of my DC nerds who I call the sweat hogs because they literally come in my window like, welcome back, Cotter, when pay-per-view <laughs> is on and bring pizza and stuff. So those guys, Steven, Jerry, Adam, uh, Crystal, uh, Jeff, uh, to my sweat hogs, I was, <laughs> I was wondering if you would say hello to the sweat hogs. Heck um, yeah. Heck yeah. Hello, sweat hogs. What is up? I've got one more for you that I'm going to shamelessly throw in. I've got a student who has been working with me so much this year. Her name is Malate, and she's been, and I hate how simplif how simplified I made this because I remember so many of my bosses who are like, oh, it's Cinco de Mayo, so we're going to celebrate you. And I'm like, what? I'm Puerto Rican and Mexicans don't even celebrate. Right? But, but this student is Riri Williams. She is this 17-year-old black science genius, and she's amazing. And I love that my students, who so many of them are non-binary, and so many of them, all of them are um, people of color. I love that there is a hero who's doing stuff, came up through DC Comics. Um, so I'm hoping that maybe you can give one more to my homie Malate, who yeah. she would be here if she could. Absolutely. Shout out to Malate. Please keep doing what you're doing. You, you are the dream. The dream that my parents and my grandparents had, that is you. You are exactly doing what you need to do, and that is doing what you love and not letting anyone stand in your way. And that is amazing. I'm being way too selfish here when I tell you that Malate this year uh, with Steambox made a website where people can uh, people can contribute directly to the classrooms in Puerto Rico after the disaster. So exactly, we, we can- Oh, hit me up with the link after this, actually. I, I definitely will. We're yeah, redesigning please. our website for the fifth anniversary, but it was up all year and we're gonna have it back up. And I will, I will send you stuff. Um, so anyway, Malate is dope, and I wish she had a chance to meet you. Maybe we could do something in the future. But right now, I'm wondering, uh, what's your what's your big shout out? Like, who do you who do you want to definitely plug and, and say what's up to? It's hard, uh, right? Do I plug do I plug people that I've worked with who I have great respect for, which is pretty much everyone that I've worked with, or do I shout out to moms who cousin Diana, like yeah, cousin yeah. Diana. <laughs> I guess my shout out is to everyone that's coming up that is brown and queer or brown or queer and non-binary. Just shout out to y'all having to survive in this world and doing it. And what I want from you guys is to one day take my job. 
I want all of y'all to become creators and put out all your stuff and flood the market because I cannot wait to read or to see what you're doing, whether it be creating books, whether it be doing science and, and making breakthroughs, whether it be, you know, uh, whatever it is. I'm super excited for that. So my shout out is everybody that comes next. I'm so excited for you. Man, your life is a dream come true to a lot of them. I have been selfish. I've been talking about Steambox. I was very excited about what you mean to these youth. So forgive me. I definitely want to no, kick no, this no, back no, to no, Tony. No, no. I, I want to say- apologize. I literally, like, what you do is inspiring to me. That That's the kind of stuff that like, I look back and I'm like, man, I wish that that had been available to more kids. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? I appreciate that. Honestly, I'm just riding their coattails because they're super dope. Um, but yeah, I, this is about this is about you, uh, not about Steambox. So, uh, Tony. Oh, I had one more thing. I actually had been, uh, you know, telling people, hey, I'm going to be interviewing Vita Ayala. First of all, I just love saying your name because it's a it's just cool as shit. It rolls right off your tongue, but um. I have a question from one of my buddies, and she phoned it in to us. I'm going to play it for you, and I'm going to let you go ahead and answer it for her. My question is, how do you think the mainstream comic book industry needs to evolve or is evolving in order to make space for queer or non-binary folks. And given that her origin is rooted in such a stark gender binary, where do you think Wonder Woman falls in that evolution? Well, that is a very good two-part question. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to your friend. Um, That is a good question. I guess- That's that's Nicole, by the way, I'm sorry. Nicole? Yes. Shout out to Nicole for asking the good questions and cutting to the heart of it. I think that one of the things that has kept people from thinking that they have a place in creating things like comics or movies or television is that they think they have to do it in a certain way. I think that we are at a time that is very DIY, which I love. There's Kickstarter, there are webcomics, there are zines, there's all kinds of stuff. And I think that instead of just trying to change like the industry as you see it, just making the stuff and putting it out there is a huge step towards making, not making room, but literally getting the stories out there, especially about queer people uh, and people that are non-binary or agender or gender fluid, all of these like underserviced demographics and people. um, I think the most important thing that people can do before we even talk about the industry is like make the stuff don't let don't don't believe the hype you don't have to wait for anybody make the stuff if you have i say this all the time i feel like an evangelist but if you have access to paper pens and a library most libraries have some sort of resource that has to do with the internet you can make your comics or your prose and put it up there are all kinds of ways that you can self-publish and self-published stuff does get eyes on it but in order to even get into the industry you have to have the drive to produce stuff on your own. So that that is my, my answer to begin with. Now, moving on to changing the industry, I think just the more people that are making stuff and being unapologetic about it, that will cause the industry to shift. Um, I think 
one of the things that pissed me off the most, but that really did kind of ring true, is that people vote with their dollar, and that's a very annoying because yeah. how can we vote if we can't pay for the thing that we want to pay for, right? But yeah. again, we are in a time where you can put yourself up, and then people can give you money for it, just directly. And I know multiple people who are of color, who are queer, who have funded, you know, gotten Kickstarters funded just because people want to see their work. And then companies that are publishers that are established look at that and go, oh shoot, yeah, we will distribute your thing, or yeah, what's your next thing? Um, so getting the work out there will generate, kind of like force more space into the industry. Um, I hope that doesn't sound like a cop-out, but I really like, we've been told as brown people, as queer people, as people designated female at birth, um, I'm non-binary myself, so it's just trying to work the language in, but like, well, make your own thing if you don't like what you see. And I think a lot, I mean, we make our own stuff and we just kind of got fed up with people saying that as a way to, to delegitimize us. It's like, yeah, no, we're just gonna make it ourselves and then people are gonna buy it from us and then you're gonna complain that we're doing it too well. <laughs> that's, what's gonna that's what happened with Black Panther. Do you remember that? When like, before it came out and all the numbers started pouring in, oh, you know, people don't like to see movies about black people with so many black women and like blah, blah, blah. And then like a week and a half or two weeks after, it was still making more money than op things opening that weekend. And I think yeah. it was like the third week or something when like Game Night and like I think Red Sparrow opened. And then there was a big like a big publication that came out with an article that was like Black Panthers making other movies and yeah. uh, yeah. it's impossible to sell them now because it's taking all the rooms. Yeah. It's like no shame on people of color. It's like damned if you do, damned if you don't, huh? How about it's just really good and people are tired of you know not seeing certain kinds of people. Um, and this kind of harkens back to an earlier question, but I think one of the things that's important uh, in terms of inclusivity is. Yes, you see yourself, and that's really important. Representation matters is a real fucking thing. But also, it generates empathy because other people that are not like you get to see you, and that's really important. Like, you how how could you possibly understand that another person is a person if they're very different from you and you've never encountered anything like that? And all they've seen is the gangsters on TV, right? Like that's exactly. they represent. That's exactly. that, right. No. I get it. Yeah, that story where Whoopi Goldberg like saw Nichelle Nichols on Star Trek and ran through the house and was like, "Mama, Mama, this is a black girl, you know, black woman on TV, and she ain't no maid." I was like, "It's the most powerful thing I've ever heard because that's true." But also, there are equal amounts of like, you know, like white people or Asian people or Latino people go, "Hey, there's a black woman and she's doing something, you know, that's really valuable." Black people have like, are people. That's interesting. Infinite. Infinite hearts, and you know every every part of your answer from the beginning even into into now, from talking about capitalism to inclusivity, all of that I've seen in your book, The Wilds. I've noticed every little bit of that. You've poured so much of your soul into The Wilds. I'm hoping that I'm hoping that everyone has a chance to check it out because that's going to be one of those things when people ask me, "What do I need to be reading right now?" Um, I my my pivot answer has always been saga and all this other stuff, and now the wilds has to be included in that. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Uh, I think I I copped out on the second half of Nicole's question. Uh, it was about Wonder Woman, right? Yeah, yeah. Like how like does she, how fit, she into... fit into? Right. Uh, well, Wonder Woman. I mean, was pretty recently kind of like confirmed by Greg Rucka as bisexual, which I think was a very important step because 
she grew up on an island of women. Right. We know. <laughs> <laughs> At the very least, she's, you know, bisexual. Um, and, I, you know, that's a term that should be used more often instead of kind of like pussyfooting around. But uh, I think that that's a really important part of it. I don't know her... Her origins are very rooted, depends on the origin, right? Uh, are very rooted in her womanhood and womanness, but I don't, I don't know what it could become. So I, I don't know. Uh, I would be really excited to see what the next steps are and as a character, it, as it becomes more acceptable casually to be a bisexual and to be more open about certain things and not be demonized for it. I, I'm excited to see kind of where it goes from there. Um, but I, I, I honestly don't know. I think that there is more than enough room to play with that it, it, across the board, not just specifically with Wonder Woman. But I think that like we should not let fear keep us from telling stories that make sense for a character, regardless of who they are. Where can somebody see your stuff today besides the comic book shop? Where can people see your stuff today? What should pe- should people be following you on Twitter at Vita? It's uh, so my Twitter is at definitely Vita. Um, and I am who I am, so it's just more of this shit. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's like half comics, half politics at this point, just because I'm very angry about the state of things and also trying to reconcile being alive in a capitalist system and like <laughs> and being uh, conscientious. Um, I think almost all of the things that I've worked on, uh, both franchise and non-franchise, are on comicsology, with very few exceptions. Um, there are a couple of smaller things that have not made it onto Comicsology, but for the most part, like The Wild is on there, Submerged is on there, all my DC stuff, uh, the stuff that I've done um, for other people through Image. Um, I had a short that I did with um, in the Bitch Planet anthology, which is up there, and another uh, short prose piece, actually, that I did for uh, Twisted Romance, which is up there. So yeah, Comicsology is a pretty central place for digital comics. Um, I don't know if Amazon does them, like Kindle, I'm not sure. But yeah, Comicsology, um, if you don't have a local comic book shop, is a way. Word. Word. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, actually excited, excited for the, for the uh, Bitch Planet, Planet Anthology. anthology. Yeah, I like Kelly's like the, the, the comics work on that. On that. Um, so I'm looking so forward, forward to that. To I, that. Have I have it. it, I just I haven't gotten around to reading it yet. It's great. The, the anthology is such a fun way to play in the universe of Bitch Planet. I love Bitch Planet. Oh, it's oh, crazy. It's, crazy. Uh, it's so it's so good. I've made the mistake of reading that on the train, though, and that's always like, whoop! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know about that. <laughs> but, the yeah, the anthology is a lot of fun because there are so many kind of voices that were waiting to be explored, and, she, you know, she and Valentine both gave so much room for that, so it was really cool. Um, yeah. Nice. Well, we are going to wrap it up, Vita. I want to thank you for giving us so much of your time. It was it was wonderful talking to you. It was awesome to talk to you guys. Thank you for letting me babble for so long. My students are going to be so excited. They love like any of that stuff. Um, I I am going to reach out to you one day, and I'm sure your time is going to get busier and busier and busier. But hopefully, my students can catch a moment. They love whenever like um, our, our whenever our guests do like the retweets and stuff. They love that stuff, and they're going to love this interview. I am 100% sure. So I just wanted to say thank you in advance. No, yeah, absolutely. Please do reach out and, and send me those links as well. 